0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. All over the country and the world, there is a cry going up that there is a loneliness epidemic. I have before me many different articles on the broadcast desk here. Uh, here's one from Forbes magazine, Millennials and the Loneliest Epidemic. The Facts of Loneliness Campaign to End Loneliness, another one. Another, the Loneliness Epidemic Persists, a pandemic, post-pandemic look at the state of loneliness among U.S. adults. Another from Harvard Magazine, the Loneliness Pandemic, Everywhere You Go. I remember 25 years ago, and early on in this broadcast, we interviewed uh, a fellow by the name of Anderson who had written a book called The Upcoming Crisis of Loneliness in America. He was right. He was right. In fact, it goes back further than that. It goes back to Alexis de Tocqueville in about 1830 when that secular uh, French... Observer came over to this country to try to figure out what it was that made America great. And in his book, uh, he spoke about loneliness. He spoke about uh, uh, all kinds of issues with regard to American society. And he said, really, we're kind of trapped and we don't realize the trap that we're in. And if we don't get a hold of it we're going to be in deep deep trouble i'm putting a a, a little uh, observational spin on what he said well today we know that russia has a ministry of loneliness the uk has a ministry of loneliness i'm not sure whether america has a ministry of loneliness or not but in fact this spirit of loneliness is everywhere well human beings are meant to be together in fact, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, as we see the day of the Lord's return approaching, we should gather together the more so as we see that day approaching so that we can encourage and strengthen uh, one another. And there's a one-another business. Life is a one-another business. But what happens if forces that are ungodly, forces that are intent on domineering and controlling and becoming tyrants actually take advantage of that sense of loneliness and the desire to be together and use it to our disadvantage with the intention of destroying and therefore domineering. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. It's a fascinating idea, fascinating insight with our special guest Stella Morabito Our book called The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fears of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer could not come at a more timely uh, place in our society and in history. Stella, it's good to have you on the program.
1: Thank you so much, Chuck. It's great to be here.
0: Well, it's good that two former Californians now could gather together from uh, Virginia and talk about something that's threatening our society.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, that is interesting that we, are, we came from the same place and we ended up in the same place.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I understand that you have a fascinating background. Uh, you actually have a master's degree in uh, the study of Russian society and government and so on. Is that right?
2: Yeah,
1: a master's in Russian and Soviet history. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's really a history uh, degree, and uh, uh, yes, that's right. That's right. And, and uh, you know, the focus there that's related to my book, uh, you know, has to do with the, uh, you know, the isolation that was imposed, especially during Stalin's reign of terror in mm-hmm. the Soviet Union.
0: Well, Stalin's reign of terror, uh, it mimicked another reign of terror uh, there in the uh, French Revolution, I have indicated many times over the past 15 years that the French Revolution is actually a precursor, uh, shall we say, a type of the final world government that is on its way, uh, and it isn't a pretty picture, is it?
1: No, it's not. And if you look at all of those old utopian revolutions, uh, not so old, all in modern history from the French Revolution on to the Bolsheviks and the Soviet Union and, uh, you know, Nazi Germany and Mao, uh, Mao's cultural revolution in China you're you're right there they all had the focus on um, being you know the model for the world uh, all of these utopian ideas you know were, were they, they uh, to the point of creating a new type of human being I mean they all had this idea and of course uh, uh, you know uh, my focus at the beginning is 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 the French Revolution but They they all have the same goal. And the goal was, you know, what we're seeing play out today with this globalist push for, um, you know, a a centralized uh, society that Mm is controlled, you know, that's controlled by an oligarchy, basically.
0: Well, the interesting thing is that those who are driving it are what you might call absolutely unmitigatingly godless people uh they do believe that somehow we are ordained as human beings to become God in our own right. We mm-hmm. talked about this yesterday here on the program with regard to what's happening in the high-tech world. And uh, even in a book that I have written recently called Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, we have an entire chapter regarding scientific salvation. And uh, so what we're seeing is that uh, humankind rather than becoming more kind to one another, is actually manipulating the human nature into the most devastating uh, controlling mechanism uh, that could ever be uh, devised against human beings.
1: Yes. Well, that's right. I mean, and and you see that playing out in uh, some of these really crazy agendas like transhumanism.
2: Mm-hmm. With
1: your, uh, I'm sure you've talked about that. And, oh yeah,
2: uh,
1: yeah. It, it's um, and and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, religion or any kind of uh, truly traditional or religious tradition that involves faith and and the kind of that human beings can get from a relationship with their creator is something that is absolutely forbidden in all these types of societies. I mean, the French Revolution uh, started off with a a de-Christianization campaign. Right.
2: Uh, That was the center
0: of it. And And the erection of the goddess of reason right there in uh, Cathedral Notre Dame, uh, only to the point, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Robespierre, in his dechristianization of of uh, France, actually ended up declaring himself messiah. And his messiahship lasted, I think it was 24 hours before he met his demise.
1: Oh, that's right, before he was sent to the guillotine himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. The revolutions always tend to eat their own. The big issue is how much damage is done in the interim.
0: Well, that's uh, right. Now I want—I'd like to ask you just a very direct question. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're obviously a very wise and perceptive person. I recognize that uh, first of all in the selection of the title of your book, secondly in the reading of your book. But why would you direct your attention to loneliness as the machinery then of totalitarianism? I want you to answer that question after this break. We'll be right back, friends. We're talking with Stella Moribato... Her book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, $20, will put this fascinating book in your hands. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to
3: Viewpoint on this radio. Station or anytime at saveus.org.
0: Social observers, both secular and Christian, are observing that there is a crisis of loneliness in our world, uh, not just in the United States of America, but all over the world, including Russia that has a ministry of loneliness. That's correct. So there is a real need for people to feel like they belong to be loved and to be accepted and belong those are the greatest needs that human beings feel uh, at at their root of self-consciousness well what if those particular needs are taken over by nefarious sources persons uh thought processes, philosophies that actually take advantage of those people and turn those basic human needs into a curse virtually that allows them to be addicted and consigned to tyrannical authority. That's what we're looking at here today on Viewpoint. And again, I want to make uh, our guest book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, available to you. Uh, $20, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage in handling Okay, uh, Stella, uh, tell us what it is that actually ended up driving you to be compelled to write this book?
1: Oh, my goodness. Many, many things. I mean, all my life I've been fascinated by the psychological dynamics, the psychological manipulation and warfare, whether it starts on the playground or, you know, reading a news item about, uh, you know, Jonestown where uh, Jim Jones isolated his cult recruits in the jungle or or, uh, and, and of course, uh, directed them. But it, you know, it happens in so many different ways in so many different kinds of relationships, but particularly, uh, by these world class dictators who can get whole populations to submit to, to their tyranny. But the number one, uh, requirement for doing that is to put people, uh, in, a, in a kind of a state of isolation. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it's and usually it's done through manipulating their fear of isolation. That's very ironic. I know. But, yes, it is. But, but that that's what happens. Like, it, you know, if we're fearful of sounding politically incorrect, we we shut up uh, quite often. Unfortunately, a lot of people just don't say what they believe out of the fear of being ostracized or the fear of being isolated, and tyrants have used that uh, that impulse, whether they do it instinctively or consciously they they always use that impulse of that fear of ostracism uh, you know they they use demonization campaigns like you don't want to be associated or called. Uh, you know, a bigot, or you don't want to be called a white supremacist. You don't want to be called a conspiracy theorist, or you, you don't, don't want to be
0: called. You don't want to be called an anti vaxxer
1: There you go. That's another one. That's right. Or and they go on and on. You know, this phobic, that phobic. Right. Uh, you know, COVID denier, election denier. I mean, they pick out. They just make them up on the fly. It seems. It's
0: unbelievable. Yeah. You I know, so, uh, what? Stella, early on when we started this program 28 years ago, I determined that we were not going to use labels the way they were used politically and socially in our country because labels become libels. So rather yeah. than use labels, we discuss the issues. We don't label people with a name or a title, an anti-vaxxer or this, that, or the other. We discuss the issue fundamentally. When we do that, we're not dividing people off. We're actually allowing them in their minds to participate in the conversation. But the labeling mechanism does not allow participation in the uh, 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 conversation. It isolates every one of us through fear, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's done in such an ad hominem manner, in such a manner So as to, you know, with absolutely no discussion, no debate about the issue, anti-vaxxer, ooh, bad, you don't want to be one of those, or I don't know, they've got – when they have a media monopoly or, you know, control of 95 percent of all the megaphones, uh, they can just keep – recycling this kind of propaganda to the point that a lot of people who are already in a state of isolation because as you know chuck there is so much brokenness family brokenness brokenness of faith brokenness of communities everywhere that have made people so much more vulnerable right to these dynamics to these patterns of manipulation and uh and so
0: so uh, fear people are importance. afraid then there Absolutely, are, yeah. And the Bible yeah. says that fear has torment. Fear has mm-hmm. torment, and so people, when they're operating in fear, they are tormented. Uh, in that they're they're just desperately afraid that they won't be accepted, that they'll be ruled out, that they'll be maligned, that they'll be labeled, and so on. And that's the the greatest fear that they have. So if they don't fear God first, they will fear man and be terrorized.
1: You go that's right and uh you know so you know what happens too is people they think they're going to get relief they think they're going to get relief from ostracism or being socially rejected if they just shut up about what they believe and uh you know say nothing mm-hmm. uh but it's quite the contrary overall uh, in the long term you end up uh isolated more isolated when you will not participate in the you know the conversation when you when you will not express what you really believe or what your heart tells you uh, you, you know you should say and uh, your conscience and when you deny that still small voice that says oh you know wait a minute you shouldn't just let this go you should say something and you disregard that then you're actually creating what's called the spiral of silence for your point of view your faith and Mm -hmm. everything else you're involved you're participating in a kind of a a restructuring of what we call public opinion so that your viewpoint even if it's the majority viewpoint can end up looking like a fringe viewpoint
0: right exactly
1: And, and and then they do the opposite like we see with the whole transgender thing they get a fringe point viewpoint uh, they try to make it look like the you know majority. like the
0: majority viewpoint exactly
1: right and and the, this is all kinds of manipulating public opinion through these techniques of what they call behavior modification. You know, Chuck, you mentioned this uh, you know Ministry of Loneliness
2: that they have in the UK, and uh, I guess
1: Russia
0: starting. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, so they build this kind of bureaucratic, like the bureaucrat is going to help you, right? Right,
0: Uh uh-huh. It's the the surrogate God, you see. That's what they're doing. They're shifting man's trust away from God, their creator, to a counterfeit God, human beings aggregated together to provide a utopian response.
1: Right, and then, of course, they will instruct you in exactly what you need to be do or say or how you're supposed to act to be accepted.
0: Yeah, and, that's the new gospel uh, of righteousness.
1: Yeah, there, there <coughs> you go. That's right. And and so it, it's uh, it, it's a very insidious Orwellian kind of setup <clears throat> they, they've got out there. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I. I I think the irony, the biggest irony, is how easily people self-censor, thinking they're going to get relief when they don't, because that self-censorship creates a vacuum for all of those destructive agendas to rush in.
2: It sure does.
1: Doing it, Americans have been doing it now for decades, and for actually, you know, I don't know how long this political correctness impulse, uh, you know, this conformity impulse, is kind of hardwired into us because. Just as you said, uh, we, you know, we need one another. Uh, human beings are hardwired to connect with others. We want to connect with our creator. We want to connect with one another. I mean, that's how we were created. And, and so the, the impulse to give in to conformity and compliance is very powerful. It's very natural. It's the flip side of that need.
0: Exactly. And,
1: and so, so we need to, I think it's so important for people to become more aware of these dynamics. I think we're all instinctively aware of them, but I think there it needs to become common knowledge and, um, and people need to have a better understanding of how destructive it can be to civil society.
0: All right, well, here's the problem. We're aware of them, but we succumb to them. Yes. We're aware of them but were not willing to stand and having done all to stand, stand in the moment of truth. Uh, like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, they were there in Russia. He ended up in the gulag for speaking the truth. But then again, when he was released from the gulag, he became one of the clearest voices uh, for truth in the Western world. So there is a place we must have the courage to stand. I'm thinking about this uh, uh, historical philosopher, Gaty. He said, courage lost, all lost. And what's happening is that people are losing their courage to stand for truth.
1: That's right. And at the same time, we have all of these forces... Outside worldly forces, Mm. cultivating cowardice, and so
2: that's true. You know,
1: courage becomes rarer as you know children are are told. You know, in schools, you know, they have all these crazy uh, theories and agendas that are being pushed on children to destabilize their sense of self, their sense of identity, which is exactly what cult leaders do. Mm -hmm. They
2: destabilize.
1: Stabilize a person's sense of self. This is, I often use the example of Patty Hearst. It only took her kidnappers. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that case, 1974. Oh, yeah. She was kidnapped by a terrorist group, and then they they, um, uh, propagandized her. They isolated her literally in a closet for six weeks, blindfolded, isolated. And she came out as a bank robber after just six weeks. Yeah. and in, and when she and when she uh, she was with this group, she, her sense of self was so erased and so destabilized, she didn't know anything else. So that by the time uh, most of that gang was, you know, there was this major shootout in Los Angeles. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, on the news, nineteen seventy four, and and um, by the time uh, most of that group had dissipated, she was went off with a remnant. It was just a couple of people, but she still couldn't bring herself, didn't know how to break away.
0: Well, let's give a let's let's use a very up to date version of that. Okay. it was just uh, within the last several months. Dr. Deborah Birx, who was the uh, the right hand to Dr. Fauci in the early days of the pandemic. And they every day they stood before the American people on television to tell them what they ought to do and to instill fear in them of the sweeping pandemic and what they had to do to avoid death, uh, urgent death. Well, finally, uh, Deborah Burks came out and said in her book, she said, I never believed that those so-called vaccines would prevent people from getting the virus or would prevent them from transmitting the virus, which, by the way, are the two essentials for any vaccine. So in other words, she knew from the get-go they were not true vaccines. Now she admits that that was true, so she was asked, She was asked in an interview, well, then why did you tell the American people that they were and that these were going to be efficacious? She said, well, that's what we had to do in order to get them to get the vaccines.
1: Oh, for heaven's sake. Isn't that amazing? It's disgraceful. It's uh, unbelievable.
0: But it was driven by fear, and fear has torment, and they were able to manipulate untold billions of people across this country and the world through that mechanism uh the weaponization of shall we say loneliness
1: well and the fear the fear of isolation the fear of loneliness Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know weaponizing that fear in particular and i don't want Um, to be the
0: odd man out
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, yeah. That's exactly right, and and uh, and is a very very powerful impulse, and you know it, it, you know breaking up all of our human bonds and our bond yeah. with God is is high high on the list.
0: Well, let's talk what about. Sirens
2: have to do.
1: That's exactly
0: yeah. right. We're going into a break, uh, Stella. Let's think about uh, social media. How is that helping to break it all up? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I uh, am Chuck Chris Meyer. Our special guest today is Stella Morabito with her book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. Uh, fascinating uh, look at what has been happening not only in recent years, uh, but also throughout history in controlling people and uh, using something that God uh, put within us to desire and need one another and to need Him. Uh, to use it to our destruction. In my book, uh, The Power of Hospitality, my wife and I actually wrote this book. We have a chapter called We're All Strangers Here. The Legacy of Loneliness. Loneliness can truly break the heart. A Harvard sociologist warned that emotionally one of the social consequences of the fragmentation of social groups would be loneliness and a legacy of coldness. Another consequence is insecurity and the nagging question, who cares for me? In the book, The Broken Heart, The Medical Consequences of Loneliness, James Litch documented this. He said, the price we are paying for our failure to understand our biological needs for love and human companionship may be ultimately exacted in our own hearts and blood vessels. According to studies at both the University of California and the University of Michigan, adults who do not belong to nurturing groups or relationships have a death rate twice as high as those with frequent, caring contact. You can see the importance of the relationship, the companionship, the desire for uh, human beings to be together, to encourage, to support one another. But what if that very... Desire that very need, the need to be loved, the need to be accepted, the need to be, uh, loved and accepted and companionship. What if that's co-opted to our destruction by others around us for selfish and domineering purposes? And what about so-called social media? Is social media making us more social or is it setting us up actually to be antagonistic toward one another, to be mean and ugly toward one another, to set us up for, uh, shall we say, uh, jealousy and envy within young people. Well, if I can't be like so-and-so that's presenting themselves as perfect in their podcast and so on, well, then uh, I don't deserve to live, and they commit suicide. I wonder, and aren't the politicians taking advantage, then, of the so-called social media, to desocialize us and to take de- uh, domination? What say you, Stella?
1: Well, social media has absolutely become uh, a curse <laughs> in the sense that it really allows for swarms of trolls, which is another form of mobbing, uh, at which, mm-hmm. of course, mobs uh, enforce all of these identity politics and political correctness and a mob doesn't have to just be on the street. It can be just like in social media and it is and you get mobbing as well, like in HR departments of woke corporations and so Mm -hmm. forth. Uh to try to keep people in line with all these policies. And yes, uh social media is more of like a uh it's not reality. It's not face to face contact. You know how they say that people in their cars can be a whole lot more they wouldn't say and do it or, or gesticulate the way uh, they do in their cars when they get upset, as they would face to face with a person. And that's, that's how correct. people, uh, you know, react in social media. They get this anonymity and they just start, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, expressing all kinds of hostility and anger and 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 it it really does sow a lot more hostility into. Uh, you know, our society and, and erase so much of what we should have, which is a
2: civil society.
1: All right, I have and, a
0: question for you then. Yeah. That being the case, are we not playing into the machinations, the weaponization of loneliness by those who are in more powerful positions? Are we not actually playing their game and submitting to their tyrannical rule by actually tearing one another apart in the name of society
1: oh yeah that's you're absolutely right chuck that's exactly what what we end up doing i mean if you look at the whole era of the covid mandates which i don't think are really over i don't know what they're going to come up with next but if you look at how that was presented how we were so forcibly and literally isolated in a way that never happened in america before uh you know we're told you know we're basically stay in your house don't go out stay six feet apart if you have to go out cover your face all this kind of uh isolation that was so literal
0: well you know Uh, what deborah burke said about that she said that she said we wondered how americans could have so easily and quickly capitulated to our demands
1: there you go and i think it has Amazing. to do with yeah i think well part of the problem is we've been conditioned for so long for decades in political correctness and of course there's been so much ignorance in the schools that's been cultivated children just don't get the uh, you know the the kind of content knowledge as well as the appreciation for freedom that they used to get i mean you know f- appreciation for uh, you know a government that respects freedom and And so that led to a kind of a, not just uh, ignorance, but ignorance that includes isolation. You get that across a couple generations, and Americans have become so conditioned to that, as well as self-censoring, that I think that that's probably what allowed them to just kind of go along with it. You know, at first, people were fearful, you know, we hadn't heard of this before, this Mm -hmm. virus, we didn't know, pandemic, Spanish flu, those of us who knew our little history, um, it was scary at first, but it didn't take long, I don't think, before it became clear, at least to me, that there was a major social engineering component. But you know what's interesting? It wasn't just the isolation, but what going back to what you were saying, it was the cultivation of hostility. Mm-hmm. You know, telling people, don't get together for Thanksgiving dinner, and then, uh, then allowing people or, or actually cultivating this sense that, you don't want to be around anybody in your family who isn't know uh, doesn't get the injection, or right. Cancer. Don't go to
0: church. Don't go to your oh, Thanksgiving yeah. dinner. It's terrifying.
1: Right, and and then of course, what I think was the most sadistic thing of all was allowing people to die alone in these bureaucratic hospital environments. Even if neither one of them had COVID, which I think wouldn't have even shouldn't have even entered into it. But even if they hadn't. I mean, it, they forced these deaths, you know, people were forced to die alone and uh, their loved ones were not allowed to be with them. And, the, you know, it was it was just so brutal. And uh, I, I think that that, you know, I, I don't know why we tolerated such things and we should never tolerate them again.
0: Way back when we start, uh, first launched Save America Ministries, and I left the practice of law there in California in 1993, uh, I wrote my very first newsletter uh, had to do I, I framed it in the form of a virus. And it was all about uh, political correctness and how it was the most dangerous virus sweeping the country in the world. And I talked about it all in the ways that we think about a virus. And that's exactly what happened. Political correctness swept the world, swept America, swept our churches, swept all of our institutions like a deadly virus. And it corrupted our minds. It corrupted our relationships. It corrupted everything. And it's corrupting it even more in spades as we speak it's almost as if we're nearing the singularity, so to speak, of uh, corruption of society to prepare us for a new world order.
1: That's what it definitely feels like. Uh, And you're exactly right. The corruption of our relationships, that's what I find the most insidious thing about political correctness. We're not supposed to see one another, well, identity politics too. We're not supposed to see one another as individual, unique human beings, certainly not made in the image of God. We're not allowed to see one another as different people, have different personalities or sense of humor, you know, suffering or experiences. We're only supposed to see one another as members of a certain race or certain class or certain, uh, you know, uh, you know, some kind of uh, identity group. And uh, that is so noxious, so toxic human relationship. Isn't that what's historically
0: been called divide and conquer?
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And then, of course, with political correctness, you you, you can't even express. If you can't express, this is something I say to groups sometimes, if you can't express what's on your heart, Mm -hmm. when you can't express what you believe to another person, even one-on-one, when you feel fearful of that and all the consequences, can you have a relationship? No. If you aren't able to have a real conversation and, you know, what's in your mind, you can't let it come out and share it, you can't can't sustain a relationship, you can't really maintain a real wholeness in a relationship. Mm. And that's where we're headed.
0: That's exactly oh, okay. right, and this is the reason why, Stella, why uh, for 28 years we've been on the air here with Viewpoint, we have never taken on commercial advertising to support this program. You know why? Because they exercise power, fearful power, over what we can say here, what our listeners can hear, and what our listeners here have learned is that they can depend upon our relationship together to hear truth without it being colored by fear uh, of government interference, of uh, uh, social society. We have actually cut ourselves off from the so-called social network out there uh, that is the uh, technological social network. Because it doesn't serve us, it destroys us. And uh, so that's kind of where we are. Uh, I want to make a... a A copy of your book available again to our listeners, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Uh, $20 will put the book in your hands, my friends. Well, well, well worth uh, the read. I hope you will get it and read it and read it with a tender heart because we need to be uh, provoked back into sensibility uh, not so much hypersensibility to to others, but a genuine sensibility where truth reigns supreme in our minds, and our hearts. $20 on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Uh, I had not met her before, and I'm delighted that we've had this uh, connection here, uh, Stella. Uh, You have a fascinating uh, background. Uh, You actually spent a decade as an analyst for the Central Intelligence Agency. What were you doing in the CIA?
1: As, as, uh, Do you dare I tell us? A, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, analyst, that's kind of an overt, uh, uh, you know, position. But, I, uh, you know, I have that degree in Russian and Soviet history, and, uh, you know, I got a job out of graduate school mm-hmm. uh, working at the CIA and, uh, as an analyst. And uh, one of my major focuses there while I was there was uh, on propaganda media analysis, of uh, the Soviet Union, Soviet propaganda, Soviet media analysis. Mm-hmm. So that, of course, uh, a lot of that, of course, is open source. But but it's uh, it, it 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 all played into my fascination with, uh, you know, the psychological manipulation on a mass scale Mm -hmm. and uh so anyway i was there of course i was there during the cold war uh during the reagan years uh all all throughout the 80s and and of course at the time we had a um we had a you know president who really i believe loved this country and Mm -hmm. and uh and so uh, things have really changed since then that's not to say a lot of people think that the CIA was corrupt in a lot of ways, well before then, um, and I think you know, right today, I don't think there's any question, you know, with especially with what's coming out now with the cooperation with these big tech companies and everything, yeah. it, you know, it's totally subverted and corrupted. How do, how but, do you feel uh, about
0: that? Having once worked uh, with the CIA.
1: Well, you know, every institution right now seems to have been corrupted. I mean, with the exception of the mediating institutions that many are still standing, they, many have been infiltrated, mediating meaning family, church, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, community. But all the other institutions, I mean, you look at medicine, look what's oh, going on in medicine. Oh, it's oh, unbelievable. Goodness, you know, it's uh, children, uh, be, you know the 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 uh, the main pediatric uh, group thing. You know, yeah, gender affirmation and surgery and all that for children. I mean, it's horrific what's going on. Medicine's been corrupted, but you know, how would I feel working as a doctor? Well, if I'm a good doctor, I mean, there. You know, it's um, it, you know the obviously the legislatures are corrupted. The you know the courts
0: the. Well, the so doctors, themse- the doctors themselves especially. were corrupted. They became corrupted by fear of the mm-hmm. government and by the American Medical Association and other yeah. institutions taking away their licenses. So they succumbed. Yeah. They did not Absolutely. stand. They did not want to know truth. They did not want to communicate truth. So they were part of the, the engine that was running the fear campaign on behalf of the government.
1: And that's how it works. And that's why education was the first institution to really experience thorough subversion and corruption, because it's through education, especially the academy, colleges, but also K-12 leading up to that, that people get credentials for all of these other institutions, Mm. you know? And and so uh, there's a huge amount of power, you know, based on – you know, what kind of credential you want and whether or not you can keep that credential, that license uh, to practice, uh, whether it's medicine or law or anything else, business, uh, real estate now. I mean, you know, all this wokeness is, is coming into everything, but you're so, you are so right that the fear of losing one's license uh, after all of these forces kind of infiltrated medicine, as well as other uh, institutions, is what led the way, uh, is what opened up, gave oxygen to these agendas. And, and now, now we're paying the price. Now we're seeing uh, the fallout of it all.
0: Right. You know, in your book, uh, in, the, in the chapter called Conclusion, uh, you have a quote from Vaclav Havel, Uh, The Power of the Powerless. He says the issue is the rehabilitation of values like trust, openness, responsibility, solidarity, and love. Yes. So the question then is, okay, we've been doing a lot of analysis here. We have been looking at what has been taking place historically and currently. Now what do we do? That's the big question, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, that's a big question. And I try to get into some of the ways that we can uh, turn things around and revive civil society in that last chapter, which I call a wrench in the machinery of loneliness. And, uh, number one, people have to start talking about and understanding these dynamics. And uh, Like what we're
0: doing right here on Viewpoint.
1: That's right. Uh, That's right. And then people need to... Take it into their personal lives. You know, understand how damaging it can be. If you have, you know, just people that you meet in daily life, a neighbor, someone that you're on friendly terms with, but maybe they don't know what your views are, don't be so afraid to express your views. You might be pleasantly surprised uh, that they agree with you, and even if they don't, Just expressing your views has put a dent, a little dent, into that machinery of loneliness because when you do that, you have watered down the stereotype that the big media has tried to associate with their viewpoint. They can see the human being behind all of these identity politics. Uh, and, And so I think that the war, it's an asymmetric war. Uh, You know, we can't depend on the corrupted institutions for any help, especially education or the media. We have to really kind of wage it one-on-one. And the other epitaph for that chapter I have is Propaganda Ends Where Simple Dialogue Begins. Mm
2: -hmm. That
1: was written by Jacques Hillel. He wrote that epic book on propaganda back in 1960s. Uh, A very, very uh, superb sociologist in that field. And uh, he, he uh, had so many insights into propaganda. But the point is, both Havel and Yulal made it clear that our power is really in that hidden sphere of life the family, uh, Amen. State, community. That's where the real power of the powerless lies. It's in these one on one, face to face encounters that, you know, when our uh, God crosses our path with someone else those are those moments when when we're able to express what we believe and, and our real humanity shines forth and uh that's what makes the biggest difference and that is what tyrants are, have always tried to to bottle up and and to you know through their isolating techniques uh you know you go back to 1848 in the communist manifesto mm-hmm. and he made it very clear Abolish the family. That's a a main agenda
0: item. Well, the public schools were established for that very purpose. What's that? The public schools were established to advance that very purpose to destroy uh, any uh, comfort in a God of creation and to tune tune us all into a humanist, uh, communistic uh, dependency.
1: It's all, you're right a lot of it it's all about dependency and and it's interesting because I do have an entire chapter in that book up, about the history of education in America and and um, I don't know if your readers or your, your uh, listeners are familiar with John Taylor Gatto, but he had a lot to say on that. He was uh, he unfortunately died about three or four years ago, but he wrote a book called The Underground History of American Education and mm-hmm. Man. There is so much uncovered in there about exactly what you're saying about yeah. the what, what's what's happened, um, and, and you know it's interesting because I went to public schools and I I remember back in my day. I'm older than most of your listeners, I'm sure, but I I remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. I right. remember <laughs> I was there. Even in we California, days. we did. Well, uh, yes. Not only that, but. I remember, and I I just put the pieces together in my adult life back in the early 60s before the uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare went to the Supreme Court and got (laughs) prayer taken out of the school, I remember a big assembly at my school where we were singing Christmas carols and joy to the world. The Lord has come. And this is a public school in Southern California. And I don't know what exactly was going on with that whole assembly and everything, but we were singing uh, religious Christmas carols. And I think it was probably... Uh, as a, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, a grand farewell or something because uh, the Supreme Court uh, was about to uh, strike down prayer in school. My husband remembers saying the Lord's Prayer every morning in school.
0: Isn't that amazing? I have a question for you. Do you have any kids? Stella, Uh, do you have any kids?
1: uh, Yeah, I have three. They're adults.
0: Yeah, but uh, how are they responding to all of this? To my book? No, to to this, all these issues that you and I are talking about.
1: Oh well, you know, uh, you know, each one has a different kind of personality, <laughs> but I think I think they're they're all. I, I believe that they're all on the same page. Uh, two of them, in particular, of the three, uh-huh. and uh, and you know, I think that uh, you know, how are they responding to the world out there? Uh, it's a it's you know, it's a frightening world. Uh, but I think that they, you know, I, I pray every day for them to have mm. the strength and the yeah. and the faith to, to deal with it and uh and and to turn things around to help turn things around.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so and, much. I I really appreciate uh, your coming on today. Uh, well, again, thank you. you have brought a very uh, fascinating look uh, the weaponization of loneliness. Uh, we've talked about the loneliness factor before but not so much in terms of the weaponization of loneliness. So that's what really struck my uh, accord here with me, and I'm just delighted that you've joined us. Friends, the book is called The Weaponization of Loneliness. It's uh, $20 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, B-O-Box 7 0879 richmond virginia 23255 you're writing a check at five dollars for postage and handling we're confronting the deepest issues of america's heart and home from god's eternal perspective here uh, as we've been doing for almost 28 years now live every single day monday through friday now i want to urge you as you know we do not have commercial advertising here for the very purpose of not allowing it to be weaponized to shut down communications on the things that matter the most. So uh, I I hope that uh, you will hear in your own heart the need to come on board and become a partner with us and uh, send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You can go on our website, saveus.org. And make your generous gift that way. Or you can actually uh, become a, uh, a monthly uh, partner and do it. We call it an automatic gift. You can set that up right there on our website or give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. And uh, if you should come to a place where you can't continue that gift, all you have to do is give us a call. And within a day or two, that will be changed. And we'll correct it and uh, do whatever you need. We thank you so much for being uh, a part of this program all these years. As uh, as you know, we're in desperate times. These are the times, as Thomas Paine once said, that try men's souls. They really are. And it's getting more trying by the day. As our guest Stella Morabito has said, uh, the weaponization of loneliness, when you've got to weaponize loneliness uh, to something that's so fundamental to human life itself, our desire to be loved, to be accepted, to belong, uh, you know we're in deep, deep trouble. So there are tyrants out there that are stoking fear. They're trying to isolate us to silence. They're trying to divide. They're trying to conquer. And uh, we just cannot let them get by with this. So, friends, take these matters seriously. I do mean that. Take these matters seriously. It's not just listening to something in the abstract. We do this on radio and not on television because on television you can dink out as you're watching. On radio, you really have to more consider what you're hearing. And that's why we do this. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope it's encouraging to you. Love to hear from you, whether it's uh, snail mail or emails. But uh, keep pressing on. Don't give up. Never, never, never give up.